Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. My mind, you just wake up and go rake. Churio, the first time that I saw him, I, I think, was actually in Instructs. 16 or 17, he might have been, I think he was 17. But his his ability to like basically do everything in spring training, it was it was phenomenal. That was the first time I was like, this kid is the real deal. He's, he's a special talent. Follow at Wake and Rake Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. I'm kind of a big deal. Here's Danny and Will. Wake and Rake Podcast, joined by a special guest, Mr. Jake McKinley, head coach of the University of Nevada Wolfpack. From what I understand, you can't say University of Nevada, Reno. You must say University of Nevada because of the rivalry with UNLV. Is that right? I mean, you could say the rivalry drives some of that, but the reason behind it is we are actually the first university in Nevada. You know what I mean? So there's an originality component component to it because UNLV is actually, it's not that old. It's, it's a fairly new school. Uh, we're 150 years old, so I think there's an originality component, and I'm sure, yes, the rivalry does drive how um, how much people drive that. Is there a little bit of a hostility between UNR and – can you say UNR? Whoa, that, well, whoa, can I, no, Can I no, say no. UNR? You cannot. It is the University of Nevada. Jeez. I gotta uh, get it right. No, no, but you know what? It's 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 funny, though. Like, I'll see it written down certain places. Like, recruits will email us, and they're like, hey, I'm interested in, in UNR, and I'm already like, ooh. Like, buddy, that ain't it. <laughs> so, no, I'm just kidding, Danny. Um, but it is, it is something we definitely have tried to, like, get out of the, um, you know, lingo, uh, around, especially in the local area. Like, especially, you know, I uh, don't want to hear that from people here in town. So, working through it. Thanks for joining us. Uh, for those that don't know, spent four years with the uh, Milwaukee Brewers as the Vice President of Player Development, Director of Player Development, most importantly, you spent time at Menlo College and the newly named Jessup University, not to be confused with William Jessup, which I don't know if you've heard that. I, I have heard that, and I'm probably going to botch that at some point in the interview, so just giving you a heads up. No, that's, I'll, I will, too. It's taken me a while. It's like, it's like uh, you know, the Cleveland Guardians. It took me like two years to finally get their name down. Uh, yeah. Most importantly, though, largest single-season turnaround in college baseball history. I say most importantly – because I was part of that one, and that one's my favorite nugget of yours. So, um, yeah, we went from ten wins in twenty. Gosh, it's too long ago. 2018, 2017. I'm getting twenty seventeen. Yeah, twenty seventeen. You see the gray hair I'm getting, Jake? Well, I'd show you my gray hair, but I don't have any hair. So, I, you're I, all right though. I think I'd rather be in your department at this point. I don't know, man. That's a a simple comb with a little bit of just for men, and you're you're chilling. <laughs> a little Rogaine. Yeah, that's that's what I need, actually. By the way, speaking of largest turnaround and in, in your time at Jessup being my head coach, it, it's a little hot in here. So I'm going to, for our audio listeners, I'm just going to take off this this front shirt here. And I'm actually going to bring out this shirt here, which uh, says McKinley University <laughs> and hashtag Jake. I had to dig into the closet for it, but I wow. will this one. No, wait, I got one more. Bring out the uh, the old cat. To All interview. right, we got we got to look right for a Jake McKinley interview here. I appreciate that; it means the world. You still got your shirt? I, you know what? I never, I never had one of those shirts to be honest with you. So Mac Boone, a former player um, at Menlo, 
that I had coached. He's he's such a great dude, but he he made those and they just kind of got passed out. And to be honest, it made me feel a little uncomfortable. It still kind of <laughs> does. Um, but yeah, I, I I did not purchase one of those, but it, I do appreciate when guys wear them. Nice yeah, I think structure. it'd be weird to to have your own face on your own. Yeah. face would be something else. No, it's a it's a pretty tough look. Fair enough. Um, let's talk about your your squad this year. Uh, last year you got off to a hot start. Injuries started mounting up a little bit, and it was your first year at UNR too. This is your first Division One head coaching gig as well. Four years with the Brewers, a few years at Menlo, a couple years at Jessup. So you have plenty of college baseball coaching experience. You were assistant at Sac State. Um, that was the first year and then now transitioning into the second year. How do you think things are coming along? Really good. Super satisfied with the progress. And I'm really happy with where the team is today. Um, you know, today is actually the last day that we can have any contact with them in any capacity. Um, so just like looking where we're at from, I would say mostly a depth perspective uh, is, is why I do feel good about the team. Because as you mentioned, you know, injuries are, it, it, they're going to happen. They're going to happen on any team at some point in the year. It's just, it's part of baseball, right? Um, so I think from a depth perspective, we're in a spot that, you know, if one of those unfortunate things happens, um, we're going to have good players to be able to insert. So, so that's huge. But overall, like raw talent, I like where we're at. Um, and I think the thing that like I've been the most happy with is how, you know, the team has, gelled together like there is good harmony I think it's real harmony but you know the, the path to getting there was like we started and it's a lot of guys from a lot of different parts of the country there are a lot of new players and there's there's a blend of players that have been here for multiple years right and so you put those things together and you go through this path of getting to where you are today it's not always clean but the thing that I've liked about this team is when it's not clean, like they, they've bounced back quick and I feel like they stay together. They, they do play for the guy around them. Um, so I think from a, you know, a culture, that's such a buzzword, but, you know, a culture perspective um, and talent perspective, I, I think we're in a great spot. A big question around Division One athletics, college football, especially NIL. How much does that impact you at UNR, if at all? Because baseball is a little bit different than college football. You don't have Shadur Sanders, who's worth, you know, net worth $5 million necessarily. But you're also sure. competing with a Paul Skeens at LSU, yeah. who's worth, uh, before he got drafted, probably quite a bit of money. So how much does that impact you at UNR? Or, excuse me, I did it again. I, know. I did I it know. again. Just cut me off. Just cut me off. Uh, hey, bro, University, that's good. That's good. University of Nevada. Pardon me. No, it's good. Um, so, God, it's it's such a funny thing, man. Like, I think anybody should be able to be able to earn money off their name, image, and likeness. I, I really do. Like, it just, it makes good sense. Um, but, you know, as it's been introduced, um, I think there's, like, there's different players. That you, like, some people have collectives and opportunities um, to provide greater resources in that space. So, you know, the thing about it is, like, I don't, I don't think it's going anywhere. I'm sure over time, like any new thing, it, it will probably reach certain levels of regulation. And we have really smart people in leadership that'll drive that, you know, but for us, like our attitude on it is like, it's here to stay. And so if it's an area that can provide you a competitive advantage, like it's irresponsible not to look at it. Um, so this is a space that 
you know, as it grows, as we grow as a program, I think it's a space um, we want to be active players in. Um, but again, it's just, I, I think we're at a different stage in terms of, you know, where that resource is, but I do think it's growing. And I do think like locally, there's good excitement around it. Um, like I said before, we have a, we have a great fan base here in Reno. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, great people that have come out of this institution. So opportunities for NIL, not just for baseball, but, but all sports, I think are a real thing here, but at the end of the day, um, yeah, it's, I don't think it's going anywhere. So we, we have to be at least looking at that. The buzzwords that you use that kind of jarred my, um, attention here was competitive advantage. Do you think that University of Nevada is at a disadvantage compared to your LSUs, your SEC schools, your Arkansas, your university? I mean, you're on the West Coast, so you're dealing with Pac-12 schools. Stanford's in the College World Series every single year. You're dealing with University of Oregon, who's very competitive. USC, uh, UCLA, you guys actually beat USC. I think you did um, midweek game last year. Um, do you think it actually puts a school such as yourself, who maybe isn't in a Power 5 conference, at a disadvantage, the NIL? Um, gosh, man, that's, that's a good question. It's a tough question too. So, you know, when you look at it black and white, it, it would be really, really easy to argue yes. You know what I mean? Like, are mm -hmm. resources the same? No. But I think you've also seen, shoot, even at the Power 5 level, I think there's certain, there's certain facility setups that are not, the most robust or the best and they're they're really good every year and they're competitive in all spaces maybe including nil think of a place like a southern miss i think is a good example mm. um you you go there and you would not feel like you're at a mid-major right now here in reno i think we just we have those same ingredients you know if you go to one of our basketball games right now like you, you feel like you're at a power five um situation like a big time one um and we have a great basketball program but like also here at the baseball perspective um there is a tradition of like you know strong strong fan base and strong connection um so i think this is an open-minded community and i think again like the nil space is a space that we are we are actively trying to keep up but i think perspective matters like i think if if your mindset as a program leader, for example, is like, God, we're at such a disadvantage. Um, if that's what you're entering it with, like, I don't think you give yourself a, a shot. So um, I would say we're actively working to compete at, at that level. Um, you know, are the resources the same right now? No. Could they grow to that? Sure. I mean, since our AD has been here, um, she's accomplished like so many incredible things in town. I don't know if you've seen like the partnership we have with the Grand Sierra Resort downtown. Yeah. Um, you guys are getting a, a new arena a, down there, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a $1 billion project. Looks awesome. Um, and, you know, like every sport here has had like improvements in facilities. So I just, I think the standard here as it relates to anything that goes into competitive advantages, whether that's NIL, whether it's facilities, um, we have an athletic director and we have a president that the standard for them is to be at the highest level. You know what I mean? And so it's, it's to work around some of those disadvantages that appear to be there on paper. Um, but I think when you have like those right people in place, um, along with a strong community and a good fan base, uh, you can, you can catch up to a degree where you can be competitive. Cause as you know, baseball just has so much parity. Um, and you know, you see mid majors get to Omaha 
Yeah. Um, Oral Roberts last year, you know, yeah. good example. So, um, yeah. So is, is it in a different spot? Sure. But is it going to put us into a mindset of complaining about it? Like no way. I don't want to keep hammering the same subject. We can kind of move on eventually, but just like as a guy who's trying to understand the concept of on NIL, um, when you're recruiting guys, are you saying, Hey, we have a local business that's actually looking for a spokesperson that's willing to offer you X, Y, Z. So I don't really know how the ins and outs work exactly, but do you mm -hmm. have partnerships with like local businesses? Um, we, we do have, we do have situations, whether it's NIL, um, overall operating budget, like stimulating that or, you know, raising for capital projects, whatever. Um, yes. Yes. There are people that have been incredibly helpful to the baseball program. Um, the Dolans, uh, from you know all the all the car all the car dealerships here in town have been an incredible partner um don weir uh is an alumni the field is named after him and so again that's a that's an open-minded group too um so but you know in the recruiting process we don't really talk about it to be honest with you um mm -hmm. other than um you know there are nil opportunities um but those those things also have to be solicited through um, you know, the athlete and, and the, and the individual or, you know, whoever, um, and there's collectives that help with that as well. But, you know, it's, it's honestly like, it's a new space for me. Uh, when I left college baseball to go to pro baseball, I, I don't think NIL existed yet. I think it was like very close or it was being talked about. Um, and then, so I was out of college sports for a while and I got back in I, I was like, I was shocked how much that space has grown in a short period of time. Um, so I'm still learning it myself, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's here to stay for sure. You know how much money Jordan Gesselman could have made at Menlo college off NIL bills. He could have been the face of, you guys were five minutes down the road from Facebook. He could have been the face of every social media. He could have been the face of Tesla. He could have been on the billboards instead of Elon Musk. Jordan Gesselman is just, he's a handsome man. You're assistant coach. Yeah. You know, you mentioned that how much could he have made off of NIL? So let's say a local business said, Jordan, will give you a thousand dollars every time you hit a home run. That's how it works. He would have made, made $27,000. I, it could work in any way, really, but really? That's, that's just a, yeah, that was more of a compliment to Jordan hitting 27 home runs yeah. <laughs> last year. Um, but yeah, who knows, man, shoot, if it was Facebook, there's probably no limit on, on what that could have been. Uh, let's talk about your uh, time in Milwaukee. Uh, they're kind of in a point of transition now, but one of my favorite quotes that David Stearns, who's now with the Mets, said about you is, quote, Jake is a great leader and coach. He makes the people around him better, and he does so with humility, curiosity, and passion for baseball. Nevada baseball has found a good one. That was David Stearns on you accepting the job with the University of Nevada. Uh, University of Nav Nevada, excuse me. Um what do you, David Stearns, your relationship with him, you got pretty high up with the Brewers front office in your uh, later years with Milwaukee. Your relationship with him, um, the baseball mind that he has, what was your relationship with David Stearns exactly? Um, yeah, so was fortunate to work um, alongside David for, for four years. And, you know, the, the hype on him is true. I mean, that's that's what I will say about that guy. He is... Uh, I think he's an elite leader of people, um, you know, and stylistically, I, I just think he's, he's an understanding guy. Um, 
I don't think he's like a super quick to react guy. Like I think he he gathers information before he makes decisions. And so I think he is a, a really, really great decision maker, but he's just a, he's a good guy too. Like he's just a good person. It was um, at least in my time in Milwaukee, like when I was in Arizona, David was going to come to town. Like you're always happy to see David or if you run into him at an affiliate or in Milwaukee. Um, yeah, just made time for people. I learned a ton from him. Um, you know, just, I also think the way he handled like the COVID situation with the Brewers, um, he just did such a good job of handling a situation where there was so much unknown. Um, so yeah, like I said, the relationship with David is great. Um, and you know, fortunate just to have him in my life in some capacity still is great. Um, but I'm super happy for him too with the, with the new opportunity, but yeah, love David and, Honestly, everybody in that organization was was awesome. I remember you telling me, gosh, probably a couple of years ago, probably around the COVID time, is like Milwaukee operates a lot like the New England Patriots do in that they keep things pretty hush-hush. And just like from personal experience, you don't really hear rumors coming out of Milwaukee uh, very often. Like the front office is very tight-knit. You don't hear murmurs. You don't hear trade rumors. And when something does actually happen, it kind of is shocking. Like, for example, when Josh Hader got traded, everybody was stunned because you don't hear anything leading up to it at all. Um, the culture in Milwaukee is very much like keep things tight, keep things, you know, keep that mouth closed. Like, like there's not too many reporters that are coming in for sources, right? Yeah, I mean, I I think... I think it's probably the goal of every team to be like that, you know, too, right. Where it's like, you, you try to keep things in house, you know what I mean? It's the locker room is sacred. The front office is sacred and, and you protect it. Um, but you know, what's crazy. Like at least in my time, I, I mean, of course, like any, any organization and whether it's sports or non-sports, there's going to be things where it's things are said and it's like, Hey, this doesn't leave the room. Right. Um, but you know when I think about that that buzzword culture, and I think about like the Brewers culture, I, I I can't recall like that many times when I was there where it's like it's explicitly said like, hey, this doesn't leave the room. And the, the reason I say that is like I think that's a compliment to like Brewers culture that I think is probably longstanding. Is like, hey, I think people have each other's backs there, and um, you know what's said you know, behind closed doors, you just, you just know, you just know it's sacred. Um, so yeah, I would say that's, that's a compliment to the brewers, you know, for something that's probably been established long before I got there, you know? So, um, but again, man, it was, I, I, I can't recall too many scenarios where people are like banging the tables, like, Hey, this stays in here. I think it was just implied. And I think any good organization probably operates like that. Honestly. I've just always wondered, like, a trade goes down, right? Are these GMs just immediately texting Jeff Pass and Ken Rosenthal like, hey, uh, just traded Jake Thompson to, you know, New York. Hey, just traded uh, Jake McKinley to Texas. Like, I, I, I've i always find, found it really strange, like the timing of it. Like, if I make a trade with somebody, like my first inclination is not, oh, I'm going to text my reporter buddy and tell him just went down. I guess that's the relationship that some of these GMs have. I don't know if David had the same relationship with some of these big time reporters, but I, I just found that strange. Like, I don't understand how the whole like source tells me Juan Soto's on the trading block. It's like, why? Like, what is, 
what's in it for the GM at that point? I, I, I've, I've always found that really. Yeah. And, and honestly, like I'm probably not qualified to speak on that. Um, but I, my hunch is that those reporters are not hearing it from the GMs directly. My hunch is that probably runs through more of the channel of like maybe a leak that started with the player or the agent. I, I I'm yeah. not sure, but you know, um, I, I remember when we made some trades when I was with the Brewers and I can't imagine like anybody there's first response was to like let Jeff Passon know. Right. Uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe that's another thing that might come from like media relations, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting in all sports when it's like a trade deadline, you know, big free agent, um, how the rumors swirl. And sometimes like <laughs> I would just like hear rumors about us and it, it was like laughable. Um, and I would never, I would never like go out of my way, like correct anybody like, Oh, interesting. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that stuff swirls and how quickly it gets to people is it, it's shocking. Did you ever have anybody other than myself, of course, like try and use you as an inside source? Um, not really. Um, I, again, I, there were like, things, Hey Jake, I can take care of your family very, very well here in Milwaukee. If no. you tell me if Yelich is on the move. <laughs> no, never. That, that never happened. Um, no, man. I mean, there's been, even since I've gone to Nevada, like there's been, um, you know, reporters that have kept in touch with me on things. Uh, and most of the time I don't have good information to give them anyway. <laughs> so it's usually like, Hey, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't have much here. Unless they're asking um, about your Tesla, right? <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Then, you know, they won't get a response, but um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, usually it was more so, um, you know, if we traded a minor leaguer, in exchange for, you know, for a big league or whatever, like I'd sometimes get questions on those minor leaguers or, um, you know, if we absorbed minor leaguers in a trade and then obviously like your high picks, I think those were the, the questions I would usually field. And those are so benign um, because usually the people involved in those situations, they're just like really good. They're really good players. They're easy to praise, you know, that's actually probably a good segue. Uh, Jackson Chirio, you were with the organization when the Brewers signed him out of Venezuela, I want to say it was, right? Uh, Dominican Republic. Is it DR? Apologies. Uh, it? He just, eight-year, eight $82 million extension, and he's never played. He doesn't have a big league at bat quite yet. Um, so, obviously, Milwaukee loves the kid, and they're even thinking he could be starting in the outfield for him come opening day. Um, what, what was your experience like with, with Churio? And, uh, you know, obviously, he's a real deal in Milwaukee's eyes. Did uh how much did you see of him and how much did you see of his development in the minors? Um, and by the way, I stand corrected. Uh, Churio is from Venezuela. Um, wow. But I, I got a little tied up there because I remember I, I met him in the Dominican Republic. Mm. Um, but yeah, like a very special talent. Um, did you recruit him I, to, not not recruit, but like were you part of the you know international signing for Churio? No, um, I wasn't. And, and our, our international group with the Brewers, they were awesome. They did such a good job. Um, they still do. Like the people that are in international scouting with the Brewers are so good. Um, but Churio, the first time that I saw him, I, I think was actually in Instructs. Um, it was kind of that weird transition. I think it was, it was, after, it was after COVID because I remember Instructs was 
we were still kind of in COVID protocols, but I saw Churio then for the first time for like an extended look. And I think at the time he was like 16 or 17, he might've been, I think he was 17, but his, his ability to like basically do everything in spring training, it was, it was phenomenal. Um, like facing guys with, you know, extreme velocity, uh, plus secondary stuff, like he would just give quality at bats. Like he was such a tough out, obviously hits the ball hard. Um, so yeah, like that was the first time I was like, this kid is the real deal. He's, Mm. he's a special talent. You know, Um, immediately with those guys, right? Like these guys are just built different. Yeah. But it's, it's funny because the first time I saw him, I mean, he's, he's a kid, you know what I mean? And so he's just like physically, he doesn't look the same as some of the grown men that are there. Um, but then you see him play against them. You're like, oh my goodness, like this is just this is just different. Like even as a kid, just the way like the ball jumps off the bat. You know what I mean? Well, you coached Reese, Reese Hoskins at Sac State, and I, I've picked your brain on this. You said Reese was a good player, but you, you at the time you probably wouldn't have guessed that he would turn into this. 30 plus home run perennial, you know, all-star caliber player in major league baseball, at least maybe not at the time, but he developed into this, you know, absolute stud of a first baseman. So some guys just develop differently, right? Oh, totally. So like, um, so I was with Reese for two years. Yeah. But like his freshman year, I remember in the fall, you saw signs of like, Hey, this kid, this kid might play pro ball. You know what I mean? Which is an enormous compliment by the way. But, you know, you're seeing that through the fall. Um, and then I, I want to say he did not start the first game of his freshman year. Mm-hmm. Um, he started the second game of his freshman year and, for the most part, never came out of the lineup again. But I do remember, I think his first college at bat, he had a double. Um, and then we went down to UCLA the next weekend, and he just, like, centered everything off of their pitching. So that's when I started to think, like, man, this guy could be a big leaguer. You know what I mean? He just, like – he, he was making at bats look easy, but to your point, like totally, like some guys just develop later too. And you're seeing, you're seeing it now in the big leagues, right? You see like 28, 29 year olds, um, getting called up for the first time and, you know, they throw like a hundred miles an hour. Um, so I just think everyone's clock of development is so much different. And that's why when you see a guy like a Churio, for example, when he's like 17 and he's doing the things he's doing. I think that's why it's like so easy to get excited about a guy like that. This might be a stretch, but I, uh, I found a timeline. All right. And uh, again, this is probably a, this is probably a stretch, but all right. So 2019, you guys traded Mauricio Devone. The Brewers did to San Francisco. When I was at Jessup, you were at Jessup. We had Logan Webb come and work out with us a handful of times out in, uh, out in Lincoln at our, at our field of practices. Obviously, you knew Logan, at least just being a local guy. Um, that trade for Dubon was between the Brewers and the Giants. Webb was kind of like up and down with the big leagues at the time. Is there any connection with you and the Brewers front office saying like, hey, there's this kid named Logan Webb who's in the minors. I know him pretty well. I've seen him firsthand. Maybe he could be a piece in the in the Dubon deal. You know what? Um, so I want to say those trades went down like, very early in my yeah. my brewers tenure like the, the dubon trade like when was it was it like 2019 yeah 2020? It, was, it was early on 2019 yeah yeah, that, yeah so um 
because it was it's funny when Dubon got called up to the big leagues with us, I was actually in AAA at the time. So I, you know, Rick Sweet FaceTimed him to let him know he's getting called up. Um, so I know he he got to the big leagues with us in in 2019, July 31st, 2019. That's that's when the trade was. Yeah. yeah so you know what, like that that was my first year with the organization. Um, and no, I mean the connections there were never really discussed. I've shoot, I've known Dubon since he was 15 years old. But also too, if you're Sacramento kid, yeah, yeah, went to Christian Brothers High School, and so. Um, he was around the field at Sac State, but yeah, like I, I guess it's like a first year guy. I didn't want to like <laughs> really say much, you know what I mean? Like, hey, I used to coach this kid, or um, yeah, this guy used to train with us at Jessup, but it's pretty crazy. Like, they both turned out to be really good big leaguers, you know? Yeah, it is remarkable that you made the jump from Jessup to a big league club, though. Like, you went from NAI to major league baseball within like a flip of the switch, which is kind of, that's remarkable. Like for me being one of your former players, it's just fun for me to kind of see your career progress. And now seeing you at university of Nevada, not to be confused with UNR, um, that this is what you wanted to do. Like you wanted to teach kids. You wanted to coach kids. So it's cool for me to see you where you're at right now. Um, and it seems like you're really happy and you got your a hell of a coaching staff with you too. So um yeah i think it's i think yeah. it's great man um i need to get out to reno watch you guys i've already touched base with uh handsome himself josh hook and we're gonna go out there and watch a couple games and and uh you know get out there this spring oh that's awesome and i you know just to, to what you just said man like the jump from nai to the brewers i i just want to say like that is good on the brewers and good and kind of on the industry that the the net has been spread a little bit wider in coaching hires and there's been some college coaches that have gone to pro ball and have done a good job um done a really good job you know pat murphy's a great example pat murphy's a big league manager you know and he's kind of more of a college background so i just think like um it's not just me like you know there's other college coaches that have made that jump and have had success so i think it's, that's awesome for the industry um but you know what man like the thing that makes good coaches is good players i believe that um and you're obviously part of that journey so um no i mean i i am 100 percent. like i've had the opportunities i've had because of good players well you inherited me so you can't even claim that you, you can't <laughs> you can't claim my talent you just you just you know you were blessed yeah. with my talents Yes, no doubt about it. I walked into a gold mine and I uh, I realized that. From what I understand, fall baseball, I'm pretty sure you went home and told Ty, one of our assistant coaches, yeah, I don't think we're going to be very good this year, guys. And <laughs> to your surprise, we won 40-something games. Happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, shoot, you were on that team, so you can know what I'm speaking to. But, like, that that team was talented, no question. Yeah. Um, we got a couple guys at – you know, coming into the sprint too. Like we got Ashcon and when we got Andrew Shap, Shaps ended up getting drafted by the Dodgers too. So, you know, we yeah. got talent midway. We did. Yeah. Which is a kind of a huge advantage at that level that you can kind of like go shop a little bit at Christmas time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, I, I do look at that team though. And I still, to this day, think the team was extremely talented. Um, I don't want to say overachieved, you know what I mean? But I would say more exceeded expectations. Um, which I don't know, like in, in 
any team situation. Like I think we all agree, like a team that is connected and has, uh, you know, strong togetherness and harmony, those types of things, like those teams will exceed expectations. And I, and I think back on that team and that team just had like incredible connection. Um, it was a, it was a tremendous group of people. Last couple of things before I let you go. I know you got babies to kiss. Um, how do you feel about your New York Jets? It's tough. Um, very, very, yeah. I, I wanted to get, I wanted to save this for, you know, the end of this dialogue because I know I wanted to give you time to kind of like get your words correctly, you know, get your political speak mm-hmm. figured out first because it's tough right now in every <laughs> single area with the New York Jets. And you're a diehard Jets fan. And, I know that you're going through it. So I, I hope I gave you enough time to, you know, figure out what you're going to say. Cause this is very, very important. Yeah. We're not wrapping up this interview anytime soon, but uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, so, you know, who I'm really starting to feel bad for is my pops. Um, okay. So he's been a Jets fan his whole life. That's how I became a Jets fan. Right. And so they're on this playoff drought you know what I mean and my dad my dad and I talk on the phone almost every day and um we talk about the Jets every conversation that's you know and so I (laughs) so I'm starting terrible yeah so I'm starting to feel bad for my dad because like he's kind of worn it since he was a kid but I don't know like I'm 39 I've kind of worn it since I was a kid too (laughs) but but I will say though like um in my lifetime, the Jets have been to three AFC championship games. So that there's been some really, really exciting years. But this current drought that the team is in, it's it's wearing on us a little bit. So especially with, with the expectations coming into the year, um, man, that's that that's hard as a fan. Um, but I will say, you know, like I, I do try to always look at these things through the coaching lens. Um, and man, like there's just there's been a little bit of tough luck with that situation. Um, and I really like their head coach. Like I, I really think Robert Saul is a great coach. So my hope is that they're able to keep it together. Um, if they get Aaron Rodgers back, but yeah, man, it's been tough. You brought this up and you opened up a can of worms. I think it'd be a disservice to fire Sala. Like what is he supposed to do with Zach Wilson, Trevor Simeon, uh, gosh, who was the who was the first backup that went in for Wilson? I only remember Tim Boyle. Tim, Tim Boyle, Boyle, who had more interceptions and touchdowns in college. Like, what do you expect? You know? <laughs> yeah, man. It's uh it's Reese Hall's a stud I, though. Reese Hall's a stud, Garrett Wilson's a stud. There's some really good players on that team. So I don't I don't know enough about football to comment on, you know, can you make it work with this quarterback or not? But I just know as a fan, I'm just like, dang, man, (laughs) it's going to be another year where uh, we don't go to the postseason. I think the drought's like, I think it's like 13 years now. It's the longest in the four major sports. I'm not, if I'm not, uh, you know, yeah, it's a dagger. Well, dude, it was first, it was the Kings who you might remember here in Sacramento, diehard Kings fan here. So yeah, yeah. I know, I know the pain. I get it. (laughs) No doubt. No doubt. And the Kings have gotten so much better. They've done a great job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mac Jones or Zach Wilson, who'd you rather have? Um, so I would say Zach Wilson, which I know could raise some eyebrows, but, um, you know what, like the thing that, and I, and I actually shared this with our players. So, I think Zach Wilson's still like 23, 24. 
I can. Um, but anyways, he he's kind of like he's just a tick older than the players that are at this level. And actually, I, there are some twenty four year olds in Division One baseball right now because of the COVID rules. He's twenty four. So this he's twenty four. Okay, so he's still like really young. But God, if you think of the situation he's been in, um, people have been like brutal on him. You know what I mean? And like. Uh, that's, I think it's just like a, probably a tough situation to start out and not have a ton of success early. And then you just kind of get buried. But the thing I will say, I don't know if you saw the interview the other day when they asked him about getting benched and I thought his response was like really, really mature. So I always root for people that I think like have just bettered themselves. He's good you at the podium. I mean? He's very good at the podium. I mean, I think it was last year, maybe two years ago. He was not great correct correct yes and he's bettered himself so it's like <laughs> I, I want him to be good you know what i mean just because I, I think the guy like works um i don't know how like real everything you see on hard knocks is but it, like it looked in hard knocks like he was um like being a great teammate like nobody expected this guy to to start or see the field and then four plays in he's your guy right mm-hmm. so i think like he's conducted himself really well and I would say that's why I would pick him over Mac Jones. Also, I don't I don't really know anything about Mac Jones. So he went to roll tide, right? Went to Bama. Yeah, he went to Bama. Um, yeah, I, I, he's a lot less talented than Zach. Zach Wilson's got talent, man. Does no cannon? I think he, yeah. he's dude. He might have four years left of baseball eligibility. I don't know how it works crossover sports, but get that yeah. out. <laughs> I think it'd be an amateurism issue, but uh, yeah, I, I bet you he could chuck. NIL money. I don't know <laughs> if it's quite near jet money, but um, yeah. 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 One day. One day. All right, Skip. I'll let you go here. Um, again, I appreciate your time. Sorry, Will couldn't be here to to join us here. He's got sick kids. I think it's kind of that season with Christmas time. You got a favorite Christmas song as we wrap up here? No pun oh, intended. Hey, actually, um, <laughs> I don't like Christmas music. <laughs> but because because is it like insists upon itself for like five weeks of the year you go like every store you go into every place you go into you just can't avoid it um and it kind of drowns out like other music so my coaching staff's been giving me hell because like i'm a scrooge right like they they put christmas music on in the office the other day good um <laughs> and i walked in i was like what is this so anyways that being said uh, 12 days of Christmas. Okay. That song, right? I feel like so there's no actually, like, like truth to this though. You're just like answering the question. Cause you hate everything about Christmas. Now it feels, now it feels surface level and fake. And- no, hear me out. Hear, hear me out. Hear me out. So we're doing a drill today at practice called the 12 days of defense. And we wrote a song yesterday in the office and like, we're going to execute 12 defensive plays in the form of, 12 days of Christmas so and the lyrics are they're just so well done um this like this turned into a big coaching staff initiative like you know what are the plays that happen what are the ones we need to work on and we we built it into a song the players don't know what's going to happen yet so like we're gonna have a meeting in the locker room and I already know which player I'm gonna have come up but I'm gonna have him sing our 12 days of defense song and we're gonna go see if we can execute it in 40 minutes because that's how much time we get with these guys today um <laughs> and we'll see how it goes but that's why 12 days of christmas is my favorite song because we we built a drill around that song and it's their christmas time so 
Um, and it, it just brought me such joy uh, building that out yesterday with the staff. Not gonna lie, that was just a really disappointing answer all around. <laughs> Come on, man. You've got to admit, if when you played, when you played, uh, you don't, you don't have to defend yourself. It's all right. Like it's a bad <laughs> answer. Like you're, they're not all going to be good, Jake. You know, like you have, you have a lot of insight, culture building. Like if I need to know how to build culture, I'm coming to you. But it, Christmas knowledge, dude, it, it's just not going to happen. Sorry, <laughs> but. Tell me in 2018. Like, I don't think the players know that I'm such a Scrooge, apparently. Um, but if you were playing for me in 2018 and we did this drill that I just described, don't for a second pretend that you wouldn't have been stoked. You would have been so fired up. Um, and the fourth day of Christmas is four PFPs. So you would have been involved in that play. It's a lot of cardio. Um, it's a lot of cardio. Yeah. <laughs> the sixth day of Christmas is... Um, is double play balls. You could potentially be involved in that, you know? Mm -hmm. So you're kind I just, of festive. It such story. You're kind of festive actually. Cause I remember Halloween, you put pumpkins on uh at home plate and we had to, you know, we were throwing a bullpen. It's kind of ish or some competition where we had to, whoever could destroy the pumpkin first yeah. one or something. You're kind of festive. Even if you are a Scrooge. Hey, listen, we did the pumpkin game this year. Yeah. And so you remember the rule, like you got to hit the pumpkin five times. But if okay. you can get it to go through the pumpkin and like stick inside of the pumpkin, it was a walk-off. Mm -hmm. For the first time in my coaching career, we saw a walk-off this year. Oh, wow. There we go. Yeah, we had a guy like <laughs> – we had a guy basically run and gun and just hit it in the perfect spot, blew the thing up, and ball stuck inside. It was unbelievable. It was really cool. And here I was thinking I got two years left of eligibility, and I was still thinking about coming back to – to play now i know i'm not gonna make it because these guys throw too fucking hard now Jeez. they they do they do velo is crazy it's crazy in college baseball it's crazy in pro baseball i mean shoot man you you think back to just five or six years ago when we were at jessup um you know we would see guys throwing like 90 maybe up to 93 but like it wasn't very common and when a guy was like 90 i mean it looked firm like 90 is like the new 85 i swear um, so it's, it's totally changed the landscape of recruiting and development and, you know, the standard of velocity is just, it's wild right now. And especially in college baseball, honestly, even in non-divisional in baseball all the time, you see guys that are in division three NAI, um, throwing mid nineties. So, um, it's just, it's, it's like NIL velocity is not going anywhere. So we just got to adjust to it. Well, I'll tell you what, if you need 85 with tilt. You have my number, all right? Hey. Um, with, with tilt. <laughs> listen, man, uh, we we have obviously track man now. You know what I mean? And so back in the day, it was kind of like, God, Danny just like strikes a guy. He strikes a lot of guys out, you know, or like <laughs> Danny, Danny just gets weak contact. Uh, but now the track man can help us tell the story of why. Yeah. Um, and you had some. You had some key ingredients, I think, that made you really tough to hit. Low release height, a little bit of an upshoot fastball. At 86, probably look like 90. So There's a reason I'm sitting in this chair. But <laughs> but I'll get out of this chair and go watch you. Um, good luck with, with 12 Days of Christmas. Again, really, really appreciate your time here. Um, Anytime. We'll have to get you on at some point here. and We'll actually have Will pick your brain a little bit more. Sounds yeah, good. man. Anything you need. Glad to be here. All right, good luck. Um, have a great Christmas. Don't be too much of a Scrooge. Have fun with 12 Days of Christmas, all right? All right, thanks, Danny.